Sponsorship of the KQED live audio stream comes from Xfinity Mobile, featuring customized wireless plans. Customers can choose unlimited, buy the gig, shared data, or a mix of both and switch it up anytime. Learn more at XfinityMobile.com. From KQED in San Francisco, this is the Writer's Block. Please note, this podcast is a little racy in spots. If you have a delicate constitution and choose to continue listening, good for you. My name is Andrew Davidson, and I've written a book called The Gargoyle. It's the story of a severe burn survivor who meets a woman who may or may not be schizophrenic, who claims they were lovers in medieval Germany. Accidents ambush the unsuspecting, often violently, just like love. It was Good Friday and the stars were just starting to dissolve into the dawn. As I drove, I stroked the scar on my chest, by habit. My eyes were heavy and my vision unfocused, not surprising given that I'd spent the night hunched over a mirror snorting away the bars of white powder that kept my face trapped in the glass. I believed I was keening my reflexes. I was wrong. To one side of the curving road was a sharp drop down the mountain slope, and on the other was a dark wood. I tried to keep my eyes fixed ahead, but I had the overwhelming feeling that something was waiting to ambush me from behind the trees, perhaps a troop of mercenaries. That's how drug paranoia works, of course. My heart hammered as I gripped the steering wheel more tightly, sweat collecting at the base of my neck. Between my legs I had wedged a bottle of bourbon, which I tried to pull out for another mouthful. I lost my grip on the bottle and it tumbled into my lap, spilling everywhere, before falling to the floorboard. I bent down to grab it before the remaining alcohol leaked out, and when my eyes were lifted I was greeted by the vision, the ridiculous vision, that set everything into motion. I saw a volley of burning arrows swarming out of the woods, directly at my car. Instinct took over and I jerked the steering wheel away from the forest that held my invisible attackers. This was not a good idea, because it threw my car up against the fence post wires that separated me from the drop. There was the howl of metal on metal, the passenger door scraping against taut cables, and a dozen thuds as I bounced off the wood posts, each bang like electricity through a defibrillator. I overcompensated and spun out into the oncoming lane just missing a pickup truck. I pulled back too hard on the wheel, which sent me once again towards the guardrail. The cables snapped and flew everywhere at once, like the thrashing tentacles of a harpooned octopus. One cracked the windshield, and I remember thinking how glad I was that it hadn't hit me as the car fell through the arms of the convulsing brute. There was a brief moment of weightlessness, a balancing point between air and earth, dirt and heaven, How strange, I thought. How like the moment between sleeping and falling, when everything is beautifully surreal and nothing is corporal. How like floating towards completion. But as often happens in that time between existing in the world and fading into dreams, this moment over the edge ended with the ruthless jerk back to awareness. A car crash seems to take forever. And there is always a moment in which you believe that you can correct the error. Yes, you think. It's true that I am plummeting down the side of a mountain in a car that weighs about 3,000 pounds. 
it's true that it's a hundred feet to the bottom of the gully. But I'm sure that if only I twist the steering wheel very hard to one side, everything will be okay. Once you've spun that steering wheel around and found it doesn't make any difference, you have this one clear, pure thought. Oh, shit. For a glorious moment, you achieve the empty bliss that Eastern philosophers spend their lives pursuing. But following this transcendence, your mind becomes a supercomputer capable of calculating the gyrations of your car, multiplying that by the speed of the fall over the angle of the descent, factoring in Newton's laws of motions, and, in a split second, coming to the panic conclusion that this is going to hurt like hell. Your car gathers speed down the embankment, bouncing. Your hypothesis is quickly proven correct. It is, indeed, quite painful. Your brain catalogs the different sensations. There is the flipping end over end, the swirling disorientation, and the shrieks of the car as it practices its unholy yoga. There's the crush of metal pressing against your ribs. There's the smell of the devil's mischievousness, a pitchfork in your ass and sulfur in your mouth. The bastard's there, all right. Don't doubt it. I remember the hot silver flash as the floorboard severed all my toes from my left foot. I remember the steering column sailing over my shoulder. I remember the eruption of glass that seemed to be everywhere around me. When the car finally came to a stop, I hung upside down, seat belted. I could hear the hiss of various gases escaping the engine and the tires still spinning, outside, above, and there was the creak of metal settling as the car stopped rocking, a pathetic turtle on its back. Just as I was beginning my drift into unconsciousness, there was the explosion. Not a movie explosion, but a small, real-life explosion, like the ignition of an unhappy gas oven that holds a grudge against its owner. A flash of blue flame skittered across the roof of the car, which was at a slanted angle underneath my dangling body. Out of my nose crawled a drop of blood, which jumped expectantly into the happy young flame springing to life beneath me. I could feel my hair catch fire. Then I could smell it. My flesh began to singe as if I were a scrap of meat, newly thrown onto the barbecue, and then I could hear the bubbling of my skin as the flames kissed it. I could not reach my head to extinguish my flaming hair. My arms would not respond to my commands. I imagine, dear reader, that you've had some experience with heat. Perhaps you've tipped a boiling kettle at the wrong angle and the steam crept up your sleeve. Or, in a youthful dare, you held a match between your fingers for as long as you could. Hasn't everyone, at least once, filled the bathtub with overly hot water and forgot to dip in a toe before committing the whole foot? If you've only had these kinds of minor incidents, I want you to imagine something new. Imagine turning on one of the elements of your stove. Let's say it's the electric kind with black coils on top. Don't put a pot of water on the element because the water only absorbs the heat and uses it to boil. Maybe some tiny tendrils of smoke curl up from a previous spill on the burner. A slight violet tinge will appear, nestled there in the black rings. And then the element assumes some reddish-purple tones, like unripe blackberries. It moves towards orange, and finally, finally, an intense glowing red. Kind of beautiful, isn't it? Now, 
Lower your head so that your eyes are even with the top of the stove, and you can peer through the shimmering waves rising up. Think of those old movies where the hero finds himself looking across the desert at an unexpected oasis. I want you to trace the fingertips of your left hand gently across your right palm, noting the way your skin registers even the lightest touch. Now, if someone else were doing it, you might even be turned on. Now, slam that sensitive, responsive hand directly onto that glowing element and hold it there. Hold it there as the element scorches Dante's nine rings right into your palm, allowing you to grasp hell in your hand forever. Let the heat engrave the skin, the muscles, the tendons. Let it smolder down to the bone. Wait for the burn to embed itself so far into you that you don't know if you'll ever be able to let go of that coil. It won't be long until the stench of your own burning flesh wafts up, grabbing your nose hairs and refusing to let go, and you smell your body burn. I want you to keep that hand pressed down for a slow count of 60. No cheating. One, Mississippi. Two, Mississippi. Three, Mississippi. At 60, Mississippi, your hand will have melted so that it now surrounds the element, becoming fused with it. Now, rip your flesh free. I have another task for you. Lean down, turn your head to one side, and slap your cheek on the same element. I'll let you choose which side of your face. Again, 60 Mississippis, no cheating. The convenient thing is that your ear is right there to capture the snap, crackle, and pop of your flesh. Now, you might have some idea of what it was like for me to be pinned inside that car, unable to escape the flames, conscious enough to catalog the experience until I went into shock. There were a few short and merciful moments in which I could hear and smell and think, still documenting everything but feeling nothing. Why does this no longer hurt? I remember closing my eyes and wishing for complete, beautiful blackness. I remember thinking that I should have lived my life as a vegetarian. Then the car shifted once more, tipping over into the creek upon whose edge it had been teetering, like the turtle had regained its feet and scurried into the nearest water source. This occurrence, the car falling into the creek, saved my life by extinguishing the flames and cooling my newly broiled flesh. Eyes open on a red and blue spin of lightning, a blitzkrieg of voices, noises, a metal rod pierces the side of the car, jaws it apart. Uniforms. Christ, I'm in hell and they wear uniforms. One man shouts. Another says in a soothing voice, We'll get you out, don't worry. He wears a badge. You're going to be all right, he promises through his mustache. What's your name? Can't remember. Another paramedic yells to someone I can't see. He recoils at the sight of me. Are they supposed to do that? 
blackness. Eyes open. I'm strapped to a spine board. A voice. Three, two, one, lift. The sky rushes towards me and then away from me. In, says the voice. Metallic clack as the stretcher snaps into place. Coffin? Why no lid? Too antiseptic for hell. And could the roof of heaven actually be made of gray metal? Blackness. Eyes open. Weightless again. Charon wears a blue polyester cotton blend. An ambulance siren bounces off a concrete atron. An IV has been inserted into my body. Everywhere? I'm covered with a gel blanket. Wet, wet, blackness. Eyes open. The thud of wheels like a shopping cart on concrete. The damn voice says, go. The sky mocks me, passes me by. Then a white plaster ceiling. Double doors slither open. OR4. Blackness. Eyes open. Gaping maw of a snake lunging at me, laughing, speaking. I am coming. The serpent tries to engulf my head. No, not a snake, an oxygen mask. And there is nothing you can do about it. I'm falling backwards. Gas mask blackness. Eyes unveil, burning hands, burning feet, fire everywhere, but I'm in the middle of a blizzard, a German forest, and a river is near, a woman on a ridge with a crossbow. My chest feels as if it's been hit. I hear the hiss as my heart gives out. I try to speak, but croak instead, and a nurse tells me to rest that everything will be okay. Everything will be okay. Blackness. A voice floats above me. Sleep. Just sleep. I dreamt incessantly in my coma. Images reeled into each other, competing for the center ring of the circus. I dreamt of a farm woman heating bath water. I dreamt of the blood from my mother's womb. I dreamt of the flabby arms of my dying grandmother pushing me up into the blue-blue sky. I dreamt about Buddhist temples near cool, rushing waters. I dreamt of the little girl who was sold by her mother for meth. I dreamt of the twisted furnace of my car. I dreamt of a Viking warship. I dreamt of an iron worker's anvil. I dreamt of a sculptor's hands working furious chisels on stone. I dreamt of flaming arrows bursting out of the sky. I dreamt of raining fire. I dreamt of glass exploding everywhere. I dreamt of a delirious angel frozen in water. But most of all, I dreamt of the gargoyles waiting to be born. To subscribe to the Writer's Block and hear more stories, please visit kqed.org slash writersblock. The Writer's Block is produced by KQED.